We're going to be looking at the Bible together uh, this morning, uh, and we're going to be looking at a passage uh, in the Old Testament. But before we do that, uh, I want to ask you a question, which is, what is the best present you ever received as a child? What is the best present that you ever received as a child growing up? I wonder if some of you can think back that far. Uh, ben, I don't know if you can. Ben can't. It was, it was a long time, wasn't it, for you? Um, one, of the, one of the most memorable... Everyone's talking about their presents, I'm sure. Uh, one of the most memorable presents that I received growing up as a child was my first ever remote control car. Remote control car was one of the first presents I remember getting at Christmas. My brother and I both got one, different colors, and the range of emotions that we experienced as we tore away the Christmas wrapping paper was frankly extreme. Um, so it would start with, and I'm sure you've seen it, it would start with the the utter disbelief, the no way moment as you take off the wrapping paper, and then it quickly goes into just unabound, unashameful celebrations in the living room, bouncing off the sofas, standing on the, the coffee table, going nuts in the living room, followed by tears of joy as you sink to your needs and express to your parents, I will never say no to you ever again. <laughs> and what was particularly unique about these remote control cars that me and my brother received was the way in which you steered them. Uh, and by that I mean there was no way of steering these particular remote control cars. You think, what kind of parents do you have, James? But they bought us remote control cars that you couldn't steal. All they had was a forward and a backwards lever, and then the changing of direction and turning was really up to the car itself. It made no sense whatsoever, but at that time, we simply didn't care. We had remote control cars, and even if they hit every single surface that was in front of them, it was still incredible. At the time, we didn't care, but after even just a few weeks, we started to realize that this was not normal. <laughs> it was normal to have remote control cars that could actually change direction. Uh, and as we started comparing our remote control cars with our friends, my brother and I looked at each other and thought, this is not right. What, what has happened? And very quickly, we set them aside, back in the toy box, collecting dust. I'm sure if you can cast your mind back, you can think of some of those kind of gifts and presents that you received that you were full of joy about at the beginning and then eventually they went away in the corner. After just a little while, they would collect dust and it would be on to the next thing or it would be wanting whatever the next person has. Either you'd get bored with that toy or you'd grow out of it or you'd see what other people had and want that instead. And although... That is a bit of a trivial example. This kind of thing happens all the time in our lives. We lose contentment over what we have. We see what others have and we go after those things ourselves. And in all these situations, what we're really looking for is, well, we're looking for joy and we're looking for joy 
that lasts. That's what we really want, is joy that will last. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are two types of ice cream eaters. I don't know if you've noticed that. There are two types of ice cream eaters. There is type one of an ice cream eater, and they simply attack the ice cream. I'm talking about ice cream in a cone. They simply attack the ice cream from all angles. They don't care about the, the structural integrity of the ice cream. All they want to do is get as much ice cream in their mouth all at one go, and they don't, there's no method, there's no system it's just get it in my mouth now. Are there any type one ice cream eaters in church this morning? There's a few. Okay, so, so what I'm about to describe is the rest of you, okay, um, which is the type two ice cream eaters, which is much more methodical. Uh, and there is a technique, isn't there? There is a technique to the type two ice cream eaters. Uh, and simply put, it is this. It is the lick and the twist. It's the lick and the twist, isn't it? Uh, and you're trying to create all sorts of different shapes with your ice cream, making sure that no ice cream drips onto the cone at any point. And those are the two types of ice cream eaters. Most of my family are type ones. So if you ever come on holiday with my family, all you will see is me and my siblings and my mum shoving the ice cream into our faces, getting it everywhere. But my dad is most certainly a type two ice cream eater. And if you know him, you will understand that. He said he used to have competitions with his brothers about how long they could make the ice cream last for. Which is amusing because he grew up in Sydney, Australia, and it didn't matter what kind of technique you had because it was going to melt anyway. Uh, but Dad's line, which he still trots out now and again, is this. And he says it to me, particularly me and my brother and my sister. He says, I just want to enjoy it for as long as possible. I want to make it last. That's always his line. Like, Dad, don't take the fun out of it. Come on, I don't have ice cream here. But he said, I want to enjoy it for as long as possible. I want to make it last. Deep down inside every one of us is that same desire. We all want to find joy in some way. We all want to experience that deep happiness that will satisfy our longings in life. And it's not just in possessions that we look for it, but in relationships or in our family or our spouse or, or kids or our job. We all want to find joy, but where do we actually find joy that will truly last the test of time. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we have been following a story uh, of David in the Old Testament, a man uh, after God's own heart. And we're going to take a little detour uh, this morning. So we're not actually going to carry on the narrative, mainly because Ben wants to do the chopping of the head scene. So I wasn't allowed that section. Um, so what we're going to do is... It better be good, Ben. Um, <laughs> uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a psalm uh, together this morning. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is take the opportunity to go below the surface to, to look at the inner workings of David and all that he did, what actually motivated him, what fueled him in his walk with God. And so we're going to read uh, Psalm 16 together. And what this psalm reveals is something of a similar journey for David, uh, where he went in pursuit of joy, and in pursuit of joy that will last forever. Uh, and so we're going to read this psalm together, Psalm 16. It's going to appear 
on the screen. I'd encourage you to have it out because we're going to go through the verses this morning and we're going to be reading from the ESV version. So, uh, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, we ask that as we think about this psalm that you would speak to us and that we would encounter something of pure joy when we're in your presence. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just take a few minutes just to see the journey that David goes on to find this joy that lasts, because the beginning of the psalm does not start in that way. If you look at verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And David starts this psalm with a prayer or a petition. He says, Preserve me, keep me, keep me safe, protect me, save me. And up to this moment, we, we don't know why he's saying what he's saying. You know, what does he want safety from? What is he worried about? And he starts this psalm with this petition or this prayer, and then he moves forward. He, he begins by declaring and exulting in what God is for him. And he does that in the next seven verses. He declares and exalts what God is for him, and what that does for him by the time we get to verse 8 is stunning. So let's just follow him as he does this. So in verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. God, you are my safe place, my refuge. I'm turning to you for safety. In verse 2, it says, I say to the Lord. Now, in your Bibles, you might see that Lord is in capital letters, And that's for a reason. Behind that word is the Hebrew word of the proper name of God, Yahweh. And so he's saying to the God of Israel, he's saying to Yahweh, you are my, and then it drops down to small caps, you are my Lord. He says, God, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are my sovereign. 
And he exalts in that. He doesn't just say it as a a theological statement. But he says, you are my Lord and my master. And I worship you because of that. And so we have David, even in these opening verses, saying, God, you are my refuge And now you are my Lord, you are my master. And then in the middle of verse 2 it says, I have no good apart from you. God is David's highest good. Or putting it another way, God is David's supreme treasure. All other goods in life are good because of God. God is his supreme treasure over everything And in everything, every good thing comes from God. It's like he's saying, I have no good unless you're in it. I have no good apart from you. So we have God as his refuge, God as his Lord and master, and God as his treasure. And all these declarations, all these statements from David are what God is to him. You are my refuge, you are my Lord, you are my treasure. And then he kind of changes tact, changes the emphasis in verse 3. And this is what it says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Recently, someone asked me, why do I love the church? And it isn't the building, although it's lovely, uh, or the meetings, which are generally pretty good, or the music, or the the feel-good factor, or the coffee, or the refreshments. Why I love the church is, is about the people. It's knowing ordinary people like you and me, believing and following an extraordinary God. I love the church because it's here that you find people who love and delight in God. It's in the church that you find family that are committed to pursuing Jesus Christ. And for David, he calls those that follow God in his land, the saints, and then he calls them excellent ones, or noble ones in some translations, in whom is all my delight. See, David seems to be underlining something here that his supreme treasure that is God for him is also revealed in the people of God. It's the people of God that also make him glad. I find that really, I find that a challenging thing to think about. And I want to ask you a question, which is, do you love the church? Do you love the church? Do you love the people of God? Or is it a drag coming Is it a drag meeting with other Christians? Do you love the church? Do you know, when I started working for the church a couple of years ago, I realized very quickly that my approach to church was actually about getting a job done. It was about getting a job done rather than being a family to be part of. With more sites, services, meetings, connect groups, Church can feel a bit like an organization that I'm kind of contracted to in some way. I have to check myself in those moments. Remind myself that the church 
is fundamentally about people. It's about people who believe in God. It's a family on an adventure together to share the message of Jesus to this city. We care for each other. We look out for each other. But in another sense, we can also approach church as something that we just pop in and out of now and again. But never really become part of the family. Can I say this to you? The church is better off when you are here. The church is better off when you are here. When I see you, it encourages me. Not because it's my church, or it's Andy's church, or it's Ben's church, or whoever's church it is. It's Jesus' church, and it encourages me when I get to see you on a Sunday, or in midweek, or at prayer meetings, or when we worship together. It encourages me when I see you, and people pray for me, and we share each other's burdens. It encourages me, and the church is better off when you are here. And there's lots of things competing for our time, isn't there? There's lots of good things that we can go and do. I would love to go to Devon every Sunday and surf and have an amazing time. I would love to do that. I would love to go on holiday all the time. That would be great, wouldn't it? Get a tan. It sounds great. The the sun is glorious out there, by the way. And yet what I want to do is I want to meet with my church family. I want to be here. I want to encourage you to do the same. David was spurred on by the people of God. Let's move on. We'll we'll come back to verse 4, but let's just read the next few verses in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So we've seen that David has made God his refuge, his master, his treasure. And now we see that David has made God his counselor. David has made God his ultimate counselor. He is putting the words of God above everything else. And in all these things, we start to see a progression, don't we? From David crying out in verse 1, preserve me, keep me, save me. To him speaking out and declaring truth about who God is. And then we get to verse 8, which just typifies this stunning transformation. This is what David says in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The verse is amazing. From where he started, save me, keep me, preserve me, O God, to in verse 8, I will not be shaken. That is some transformation, isn't it? Something has happened as he's writing these things down. As he's declaring truths about God, something has happened in his heart. What's happened But he says it. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. And we've just seen him do that. He has demonstrated what that looks like by setting the Lord in front of him. He's shown what that is. And it's by declaring and exalting 
in the truth of who God is. You are my refuge. You are my master. You are my treasure. You are my counselor. And the result is, I will not be shaken. David's plea for safety and refuge has become a statement of security and strength. You know, I think we often get to the prayer bit, don't we? We often get to the prayer bit, Lord, save me, help me, do something for me. We very rarely then continue that through and start declaring truths about who God is. And it's not a case of saying something enough times that you eventually brainwash yourself into believing it. But this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. I love this. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Let me say that again. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Now, I'm not advocating for you to walk around the streets of Bristol going crazy and just kind of speaking out loud all the time. But there is something amazing about what David is trying to say and what Martin Lloyd-Jones is trying to say is we've got to preach to ourselves. We've got to declare the truth about God when there is uncertainty. Maybe, why don't you even this week commit to reading this psalm every morning? Try it for a week. Read read Psalm 16 every morning and see what happens when you do it. I promise you it will change you. And in writing this psalm, David remembers the goodness of God. He declares truth about God. And when we get to the final verses of this psalm, David has come to a place of knowing where true joy that lasts really comes from. He says in verse 9, Therefore, because of all this, because God is my refuge, my master, my treasure, my counselor, because I delight in the people of God, because I know that I won't be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is like the realm of the dead, or hell. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David, in the process of declaring truth, exalting in who God is, knows that God will not abandon him to death. In fact, in these verses, we see one of the clearest Old Testament prophecies of that God will not abandon him beyond the grave. And that beyond the grave, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. What David perhaps didn't realize when he was penning this song was that it would eventually be covered by someone else. Someone else would sing this song that David sang, and in fact, the cover was even better than the original. It was far more glorious than the original. And it says this in the Gospel account of Matthew, in chapter 26, 
Verse 39, it says, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let the cup pass from me. Jesus is singing a similar song to verse 1 in Psalm 16. He's saying, keep me, preserve me, protect me. My Father, if it's possible, let this cl- let what is about to happen pass from me. And it's no surprise that Jesus cried that out, knowing what was to come. He'd be betrayed, arrested, trialed, given the death penalty, mocked, humiliated, as he carried his own instrument of torture and death up a hill, shoved onto wooden beams, nailed to a cross with iron nails, winched up between two criminals, and with nails thrust into his wrists and his feet, had to try and carry the whole weight of his body gradually suffocating and gradual asphyxiation that would set in. And yet knowing what was to come, what does it say after? It says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, speaking to God. What came after his prayer, his, his petition, his song were the words of of a servant king, not my will, but yours be done. And you might be thinking, why did Jesus allow himself to go through that? Why did Jesus allow himself to go through that kind of treatment, the cruelest of deaths? What would have motivated him to do that? And the answer is, it was joy. It was joy that motivated him. And that can sound strange, but the Bible tells us that it was joy that took Jesus to the cross. In, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy that was set before him. And what was the joy? What was the joy that was set before him that took him to the cross? It was you. The joy was you. Just feel the gravity of that for a second. The joy was you. He went to the cross because he saw you. In your sin, in your broken state, in need of a saviour. And he said, I will go through the most brutal death so that you can know me, that you can have forgiveness, that you can walk free. You are his joy. You are his delight. You can start to smile. (laughs) Jesus promises you to bring you through life and through death, into an eternal relationship with him. Where there's no more pain, no more suffering, because he defeated death. He rose again on the third day, having been brutalized in pretty much a perfect body. He just had scars on his hands and his feet. 
And he did it for you. Where do we find joy that lasts? We find it in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't muster up joy or happiness or nice fuzzy feelings from within. We don't pursue ultimate joy in earthly things or possessions. We find it in God. And this life that that God has for us, he doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. He doesn't promise that it's going to be comfortable. There will be pain and there will be sorrow. But if you make God your safest refuge, if you make God your supreme master, if you make God your your greatest treasure and your most trusted counselor, then he will lead you into paradise beyond the grave when you die, into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. David sang of that truth in this psalm. He didn't have a full picture of it, but he knew it was coming. Jesus sang of it, and we're invited to sing of it too. And my my prayer for us as a church is that we would be a people that are defined by the joy that we find in Jesus Christ. That we would delight in each other because we know that there is no longer anything to fear. That death is just a moment. It's just a blink of an eye. And when you walk through the door of death and meet Jesus face to face, your life is just going to be of a distant past. It's just going to fade away. Distant memory. Imagine if we all caught hold of that. What effect that would have on us as a church, as a family, but the effect that it would have on Bristol, in this city, in our universities, in our places of work, in the baby groups that we're part of, if we were the most joyous people in the world because we have found where ultimate joy is in Christ. And so I want to spend the last few minutes uh, giving us an opportunity to respond, and I just want to invite the band back, but before we sing, I've just found it so enriching reading this psalm over and over again. I've found it so helpful, so enriching, because I know that what I need to do is continually declare truth about God to fuel me for that day. And so I want to lead us in a response that's, that's a bit different. We don't normally do it in a church like this. Um, but actually, we're going to read the psalm together. Seems like the right thing to do. Um, and so I'm going to invite you to stand. Why don't we stand? And just before we read it, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Maybe you know you've been looking for joy in other places. Maybe you know you've been trying to find delight in other things, whether that's in your marriage or in your family, in relationships, in money, in, in jobs, in activities. Maybe you know you've been trying to experience ultimate joy and you've just been found wanting. Then you can pray this prayer in the psalm and say, Jesus, I want you to be my ultimate joy in life. You might be doing that for the first time, and you want to make that step and say, do you know what, I I have felt lost. I want to make a first commitment 
to you, Jesus. Or perhaps you've been part of this church, perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time, and like me, you know that you try and find contentment in other things, but actually, you need to find joy in Jesus Christ, not just for this life, but knowing that there is paradise, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore beyond the grave. So why don't we just read this out together, out loud, if you feel comfortable doing it where you are. Why don't we read these words out as our prayer and as our response this morning. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen.